Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, January 17th. Only two more nights to go before we kick off the first Grand Slam event of the 2020 season. I know I speak for tennis fans everywhere when I say we are so excited for this year's Australian Open to get underway. But before we hit that mark, we've got some other matchups, other things throughout the tennis world to wrap up. Two ATP events, two WTA events going on right now. Those matches, while we're not in significant to the predictions we have for Australian Open still can give us a few more tidbits as we prepare to make our preview podcast things that we will be bringing to you throughout the weekend from Cracked Rackets. Joining me tonight for a little ATP WTA roundup and to give our initial reactions, we're well aware the Australian Open draws are out. We're going to save our long takes for our preview podcast, but we want to give our initials winners and losers and joining me to do just that. You know him as a former tennis and men's tennis superstar, the co-host of the Wednesday Mini Break podcast with Matt Stachowiak. I, of course, affectionately know him as James Foster McDonald. Jamie, welcome back to the Mini Break podcast. Hey, I don't know if I can, I was talking to Matt, I don't know if I can be pinned only to Wednesday anymore, because I think uh, this is the third day in a row on the mini break this week, so, um, <laughs> I, I mean, Wednesday, look, that's that's where I started, my humble roots are from there, um, you know, I've grown, but yeah, now it's just every day, uh, but no, it's good, it's good, I'm, I, I will still affectionately be known as the Wednesday host, I'm good with that. You're right. I could just say one of our hosts of the Mini Break podcast here on it. I shouldn't just relegate you to Wednesdays well, because call it like up all a little super. Bit. Give me give me another title. Give me something. No, fun. you've spread we'll your think wings. About it. Yeah, you've learned how to fly certainly. Right. So, I would say uh, you that's a, uh, you know, hey great shot by me. I got to correct that moving forward, but you know, good to see you. You excited for this first Grand Slam of the year? Yeah, I mean, of course. Um I think there's there's a lot of things that have made me even more excited, you know, especially these first sort of events where you get to see people, uh, see how they did in the off season, see how they're going to come out. And, you know, Matt and I talked about this quite a bit. And yeah, you know, it's not the end all be all look in the first couple tournaments, but, you know, it, it sends a message to the rest of the field. Right. So um, these matches are important to go over. And, and, you know, in terms of implications, big time to be able to say, hey, you know, what's going to happen? How are you looking Where's your confidence at going into this first major of the year? So, yeah, I'm looking forward to breaking down that and then talking some initial winners and losers reactions about Australian Open. Not to simplify things too far, but the people who look bad, the tennis season is so long that if your first two tournaments of the year are off, if your first two matches of the year don't go well, people who come to mind, John Isner, who lost a couple of bad ATP Cup matches, things like that, because the season's so long, you can easily forget the struggles. But I agree with you. It's always notable when people come out of the gates hot. Uh, two years ago, it was Hyun Chung who made that semifinal and rode that wave through the first really 10 weeks of the season until he, his foot injury just became too much for him to bear right around that Indian Wells Miami time. You know, last year, Stefano Tsitsipas makes the semifinals, uses it 
to catapult him forward throughout his 2019 season. Now, the flip side, of course, Kyle Edmund, Luca Pui, they made semifinals those two years as well, and it didn't really end up mattering. But to your point, you can definitely learn things from these first months. The fact that we saw a calm Kyrgios in ATP Cup, we don't have to relitigate ATP Cup, but that we saw so many guys go out there and play as well as they did. It lets us know people who uh, have really brought their games, a guy like Hubie Hercatch, who we'll talk a little bit, he played so well in ATP Cup, and now he finds himself in the semifinals of his first ATP tournament of the year. It speaks to the fact that the guys who work hard in the offseason, it shows early in the year this is the Australian summer. And let's start out there on the ATP side. Let's go to Adelaide first, Jamie, where we have had some really good results thus far. And no, this isn't going to be Hubie Hercatch in this field, but from at Tennis My Life 68, this is the first time since the 2004 Dubai event, Jamie, that four under 23 players made the semifinals of the same tournament in Adelaide. Here we have Tommy Paul taking on Lloyd Harris, both of those guys unseated in this event. On the other side, a really fun semifinal, Andre Rublev versus Felix Ogier, Aliasim. Before we get into breaking down our thoughts on how those guys got there, what we think this weekend's going to look like, Jamie, can you name the four semifinalists from that 2004 Dubai event? Oh boy, under what age? 23? They were under 23. Okay, so 04, under 23. Um, 04 was 16, 16. Doing some math here. Good um, math. Yeah, you know, uh, it's, it's napkin math, but in my head. I was going to say, West off, leave that in. Yeah, give me give me give me some like counting. So I don't even know what that sound effect would be. Um, no, I mean I think <laughs> Djokovic. No, Djokovic too young at that time. Do you want me to give you one player? So oh yeah, get it's the 04. age range. Yeah. yeah, give me one. Do you want? I mean, all right, I'll give you the obvious one. Roger Federer Fed. is one of the yeah, guys. Be yep. Oh, uh, you have a Spaniard. Okay. A Russian. Um, Who's the Spaniard around? There's, the problem is there's so many Spaniards. Um, He's still around. Lopez? That is correct. Feliciano okay. Lopez, age 22. And then someone from Finland. And then a Russian. Or maybe Ukrainian. Where is he from? <laughs> These <laughs> no. days, who can tell the difference? <laughs> um, that was a joke, by the way. Leave it in. I don't know if I'm going to come up with this. I mean, I'm trying to think. He is Russian. Nice. I honestly don't know how old. So let's go with Safin. Okay, Federer, Lopez, Niemannin, Yuzny. Yuzny's the Russian, yeah, okay. Yeah, interesting crew. Isn't Safin, was, that's that's about right, age range-wise, though, right? I think he was a little bit older than that. Isn't if Safin like, and Federer are the same age, I will look this up right yeah, now. Yeah, Safin's 39. Safin 39 right now? Yeah. it's an old 39, though. He is 39 in 2004. Nope, he would have been 24, 23. Okay, whatever, close enough. Does not count. It's all right. Yeah, it's very napkin man. But so to talk about this week's as fun as that was to talk about this week's semifinalists. You look at the guys we have here for Andre Rublev. We spent so much of the early parts of 2020 and the end of 2019, really, talking about how good he has looked. He dropped his first set of the year in his last match quarterfinals to Dan Evans, another guy who's looked really good in 2020, uh, to win the match 6-4, 3-6, 6-3. But this week, he knocked out Query 3-3. Three 
this win over Evans. It's the confidence he's playing with, Jamie. This is a guy who right now, I mean, it's really early on the season, but you look at where he's at in the rankings. You look at how he really doesn't have that many points to defend till the second half of the year. Right now, he's sitting at number 19. He wins his next match. He'll go up, tying his career high number of 18. I really think Andre Rublev could crack the top 10 at some point this year. It's bold. Um, I mean, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I think the bottom of that top 10 is definitely um, feasible. There's some people in there who could certainly drop, and there's some people right at the bottom of the top 10 and right around there that I think Rublev is playing better than. So yeah, it's reasonable, I think. Um, I mean, it's definitely not going to be easy, but yeah, with the level that he's displayed as of late, um, I would say his level is at least top 10 level, that bottom part. Um, In terms of getting there point-wise, a little bit of a different story, a little more difficult, but yeah, it's feasible. Yeah, and I'm going to say, hey, great shot to us because we said Felix Ogier Aliasim, despite struggling a little bit in ATP Cup, not a loser just because he did play some decent matches. Him this week, he knocks out Duckworth 3-6, and six, then he knocks out Alex Bolt 3-0. and oh. He's obviously an underdog heading into the semifinal, but my question to you is, in Andre Rublev, he's now played, I think, six matches already in 2020. There's a case for him to be like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bow out on this one. I'm going to take the loss. I'm going to get a couple of days rest. You do have to worry for him two straight weeks of week-long tennis. That's a lot of tennis to put on your body before you go into the year's first slam. So by that, do you mean just like go out and tank it? Or what are you saying? I'm just saying he goes down an early break, and it's like, you know what? No stress. Like, I don't think we're going to see any broken rackets from Andre Rublev tomorrow. Then again, the counterpoint is every match he takes, he takes so seriously. Yeah. I'm just saying, for Andre Rublev, he's an obvious choice for sleeper at the U.S. Open, and yet he has put two weeks of tennis on his body. That is a lot. It is a lot, but also it's it's one of those guys that, A, that's not his mentality, and B, he's 22, right? If you're going to put a lot of miles on, this is the time when you can actually do it. Um, I I don't know. Sure, we have seen injury be a problem with him. Of course, he was coming out of that last year. Uh, but no, I don't. I don't think he's going into this match thinking that, and and nor do I expect him to do that. I expect him to come through this one as well. And for he, for him, he's one of those people who you know it's Nadal's the obvious answer, the guy who just always wants to be out there and you know seemingly gets better the more miles put on him somehow until his body literally breaks down and he can't play. Um, but Rublev kind of similar in the guard that he wants to go out there and get that win, get the confidence. That, to me, is going to be a bigger asset to him than, you know, feeling a little bit fresher by losing a match like this. See, I I disagree with you somewhat in that I agree with you. He's not going to go out there and tank. That's not in his DNA. He's a guy who loves tennis, clearly wants to be out there playing as much as he can. That being said, we've seen two big injuries already in his career that have forced him to miss significant amounts of time. I just think when you hit June... July, you'll look back and maybe he wins this tournament and he has two titles on his record early in the year and that helps him rankings wise in some sort of fashion. Maybe he's a top 16 seed instead of that 16 to 32 range and he avoids someone that much longer. But at the same time, it's just a lot of tennis. I I don't think he needed this week. He got he showed me everything I think you want to see from a player in their first week. Get the rust off your you know back. 
and he did that. He won in his first week. Could have taken this week off, in my opinion, just given how quick that turnover is into the Australian Open. Um, but yeah, he's a guy who has looked so good, and it would not shock me to see him bring home a title this week in Adelaide. I do want to talk about the top half semifinal real quickly in Lloyd Harris. He's a guy who knocked off Christian Guerin in three sets, then Laszlo Jir, 7-6-6-3. Finally, Pablo Carina Busta, 3-3-2 three three, face-off with Tommy Paul. A qualifier here who knocks off Bedene, 4-4, four and four, then Paolo Cuevas, 1-2. and two. Here, Ramos Vinolas, he's the beneficiary of the number one seed in this event, pulling out in the quarterfinals. Tommy Paul, 6-3, 6-4 winner to get to his first ATP semifinal. Both of these guys back-to-back in the ATP rankings right now. Harris, I want to say, uh, one spot behind Tommy Paul, both of them at career highs. Paul, 78, Harris, 79. It's a win-win for both of these guys on the year, particularly because it's both of their first events. They both have looked good this week and have uh, the benefit of getting right into that main draw. I mean, for either of them, you want to comment in particular, but you know, for, for both of these guys, win to start your season. Yeah, I mean, look, this is a match where, of course, this is certainly not one where they're, you know, thinking ahead or at least should not be thinking ahead and thinking about miles on the body. At this point, this is a really important match, right? This gets them through to a final against a guy like a Rublev or an FAA. What a great experience to have going into a major, um, you know. Of course, we're recording at night, so we can go ahead and, and spoil where we're at as we're recording. Harris up a double break in the first set over Tommy Paul right now. So um, I think maybe that's a little bit surprising given the level we've seen from Tommy Paul. Um, we've seen him have some really good and really convincing wins over the last week or so. Um, but at the same time, here we are, like you said, neck and neck in the rankings. So not surprising um, that Tommy Paul didn't just come out here and clean up. But, I mean, yeah, it's it, like you said, this is a big this is a big match and I think an important win for either of them. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Yeah, for Tommy Paul, a guy who went through qualities, he's another one. He's had a bunch of tennis on his body this mm-hmm. week. A loss doesn't kill him, but for either of these guys, you win here. Now you get into that top 75. Uh, you know, you win this tournament for either one of them. They're inside the top 65. Uh, that's the challenger range, or challenger range, excuse me. That's the master's range where maybe you don't have to play qualities, and that's the next step for both of them is to get in a position where they never have to play qualifying for a tournament yeah. again. Certainly with both of their rankings, they shouldn't have to worry about 250 qualities in the near future. And, you know, Tommy Paul, 22 and 6 months. Lloyd Harris, 22 and 8 months. They're both in good positions uh, heading into this season. So, yeah, big wins for both of those guys and should be a fun weekend in Adelaide as well. The best part about Adelaide, it's a dual event. So let's flip to the WTA side. Respectfully to Hobart, this is, uh, in my opinion, I think obviously the more interesting WTA event of the weekend, much like Adelaide uh, is on the ATP side. Really fun set of semifinals here. The number one seed, Ashley Barty, going to take on a red-hot Daniel Collins, who I cannot emphasize enough, has looked so good this week uh, in Adelaide in her first-round match. 
She knocked off Sasnovich, 6-3-6-2. In the round of 16, she blitzed number 17, Sophia Kennan, 3-1, and continued that level into the quarterfinals, taking out Bencic, 3-1 as well. Ashley Barty, slowly, you know, she was someone who was almost a loser after week one. She lost first round in singles, but made the finals in doubles. Scraped out of a first round jam in uh, knocking out Pavlchenkova, 7-5 in the third. Played much better in her quarterfinal match, knocking out Ben Druseva 3-3. Three and three. Why this match is so fascinating to me, Jamie, it's twofold. A, I, I, I'm serious. If you've watched highlights of Danielle Collins this week, the forehand, the backhand, if you throw a sitter her way right now, she is ripping it for a winner. But she's also someone who's got Australian Open quarter uh, semifinal points to defend. So for her right now to get these results under her belt, she sits at number 25 in the live rankings, two off her career high of number 23. On the flip side, Ashley Barty to get some singles wins under her belt in a field with no Bianca Andreescu. Uh, she's one of the few players who, you know, one of the few contenders with a slam under her belt in the past calendar year, and to see her get wins. I think these are both players who you could say there's a scenario where they emerge over the next two weeks as the Australian Open champion. Yeah, I mean, I think the the more obvious on-paper pick there, of course, Barty, not only has she had that experience, um, she's going to be high. I mean, look, she's, she's going to be riding a high. She's got the home court advantage there as well. Um, but like you said, Daniel Collins looking really good in really good form there. And, you know, you think of matchup perspective. Yeah, Barty throws some weird stuff at people. Uh, that's what makes her good, right? She um, really mixes up the pace, uh, makes herself a difficult opponent. Um, but like you said, when Daniel Collins is on and, you know, even if she does have to create her own pace off of a sitter, which Barty will give her, um, you know, she's been able to do great things. So this one's a great one. And, and, you know, we'll get to this later a little bit, but I'll give just one take. Danielle Collins, somebody who's draw, I think she's coming out as a winner as. Ooh, a little tease there. I like that, Jamie. Yeah, I think for both of these players, and again, I can't emphasize enough, big fan of what the WTA does on YouTube. It's so easy to find WTA tournament highlights because they put highlights of the best match directly on their YouTube account. Uh, so, fans, if you're not going to watch that, it's an easy way to follow the WTA circuit. I mean, Danielle Collins was just lights out against Sophia Kennan, who didn't have a weapon to hurt Collins with, and that was the problem. Any slice she hit, Collins was all over. Belinda Bencic has that sort of variety, a little more firepower. And I'm serious, it didn't matter. If you threw a second serve, Collins was swinging through her backhand better than I've really ever seen in her career. And I know she was a four-year college player, you know, Florida, then Virginia. But she's 26 years old, and really, this should be the prime of her career. So really excited to see what she has in store, if she can keep this level up. Yeah, to echo your points completely on Barty, uh, I watched highlights of her match win over Van Drusseva. That's a former French, you know, last year's French Open final rematch. It's just the diversity of shot selection. Ashley Barty, so good on the defensive. She kept hitting these backhand slice lobs, something I know you love, Jamie, oh, over yeah. the lefty backhand volley of Vandrusova, and it just worked every time. And it was just, it, I mean, she's good on the move. She turns defense into offense so well. She plays the slice. She plays the angles. And the thing I appreciate most about Ashley Barty, she's not afraid to move forward. 
she'll hit an overhead no matter where she's on on the position she's in on the court if she gets a clean look at it swinging volleys as well uh, it's good to see her playing well on the other half of that draw number uh, six seed Sabalenka looked really good in her quarterfinal 6-4-6-2 win over the two seed Halep looked good in the round before that as well knocking out Bernarda Para 6-2 uh, she actually we can say this because it already happened lost her match to one of my dark horses for the Australian Open Diana Yastremska mm. who I, I, I want to say she's 19 maybe 20 years old 19 still right now at a new career high number 21 this is a girl who not only can move around the court like someone who's 19 years old just so quick so fearless she doesn't know that she can't track things down or that she doesn't have to so she goes after everything uh, but her firepower off of both wings are just scary and I in an and rescueless world I mean the institutional memory the people who have won slams it's Barty it's Halep uh, Osaka, I guess Kvitova, Serena, and that's really it. Uh, I mean, Kerber, but she's Kerber. a little bit injured. Um, Sloan's in there. Yeah, but do you really trust Sloan Stevens' level right no, now? I'm just saying, I, I, I think Diana Yastrzemska has looked really good, and this is something I've been on since the end of last year as well. I, I, I would not shock me to see her do really good things uh, come this Australian Open. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, let me ask you this. So say she – I mean, she obviously she's in – so Barty and Collins on the other side, that's going to be the heavy favorite, whoever wins that matchup for the finals or no? Mm, here's the thing. Danielle Collins, I, I know I, I keep saying this, but can you really tree f- like four matches in a row? I'm not saying she's treeing, but it's not going to get much better than that. And maybe <laughs> this is her new level. And if she can carry this level all week on, I'm telling you, uh, Jamie, she is a favorite for this Australian Open. Just... There's not a ball she's she can't turn into a winner. That's how fearless she is right now, swinging away. Sounds but like Yastrzemska's playing really well. I mean, Barty's the favorite, of course. Mm-hmm. But Diana Yastrzemska's looked really good this week. Yeah, fair enough. Just figured I'd throw that up because I know you were talking. You were you were uh, you were high on all of them, so figured yeah. I'd uh, make really the fun. answer one. <laughs> no, it's a fun result there, and I should also say from Michael Gallo in the doubles final, Gabriella Dabrowski and her partner from last year, Julie Shu, playing each other, uh, not playing together this year, but they're playing each other in their very first tournaments of the year in the final with different partners. A little drama there. Never. Uh, you know, that's part of the unintentional comedy that makes tennis so enjoyable, right? So, you know, maybe we're got a Houston Astros thing here where they're going to be stealing signs. She'll notice Dabrowski's pose and she'll say, hey, she's poaching left here for sure. Uh, you know, vice versa. Uh, I, so then just a little extra drama, Jamie, a little spice this weekend in Adelaide if you won't be watching already. Uh, let's move on to our other event. We've got two more to get to, and we can go a little bit quicker through these two as no no disrespect to them, not as interesting. John Isner uh, looking better in week two of his season. He knocks out Tennis Sandgren in three, then Kyle Edmund in two tiebreaker sets. To make the semifinals in Auckland, he's going to play Ugo Umbert, who I believe now has back-to-back good weeks on tour to start off his 2020 season. Uh, you look at what he did last week. He did not. I think I mixed up an Ugo. I think I mixed him up. Leave it in, Westoff. That's that's my bad. He you mixed him up with Moutet or what did you do? Yeah, with, with Courtney Moutet. That's a positive. There's a lot of young Frenchmen right it's now. Tough, you gotta, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Under, an understandable mix-up. 
Nevertheless, still a fan of Ugo, and he looked good knocking off Casper Ruud in three sets, then Marco Cecinato, one and four. Finally, Denis Shapovalov, five and four, to get himself to the semifinals. On the other half, a guy we mentioned before, Hubie Hercatch, the beneficiary of Fabio Fognini, losing to Lopez Hergot, knocks out Sinego. Then Mikhail Yimmer, two and six. Finally, Feliciano, six four, six seven, six four. He's going to play Benoit Pair, who never sleep, uh, uh, never sleep on Benoit Pair, and I say that both literally and uh, metaphorically. Benoit Pair, three set winner over Yannick Sinner in his first match. Three sets over Montiero, three sets over Millman. You ne- expect nothing less than three sets out of Benoit Pair, but this is a nice little quartet here in Auckland, Jamie. Yeah, no, this is a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, obviously, both the Frenchmen, um, very different in the way they approach this. And both of these matches are going to just look very different, right? Uh, I mean, of course, you got a John Isner match. And anytime he's on one side, it, there's just a, <laughs> there's a certain game style you can expect to see, right? I mean, the, the match is sort of defined by how Isner plays the game. On the other side, you've got Hercatch and Benoit Pair. Pair, obviously one of the flashiest players on the tour. Hercatch looking red hot. Um, so... A lot of fun. Um, if I had to choose one to watch, obviously, you know me. I'm biased. I'm going to watch that Hercatch pair match. I think there's more potential for some flair and some fun in that one. But I think Isner Umber is going to be a good one as well. Well, inevitably, at some point during this Australian Open, it's going to be 9 a.m. Uh, East Coast, 8 a.m. Paci- uh, Pacific, 8 8 a.m. Central. You're, right. You're going to be at the office, yeah, and the TV's going to be on, and you'll see John Isner in some sort of fourth or fifth set tiebreaker. Correct. So we'll get our fix of Isner in a couple of weeks, I promise you, view, uh, viewers and listeners. Viewers now. See, I'm in all these different habits. No, maybe my brain really is scrambled, Jamie. Um, I was saying before the pod, up. man, I was asking. I was like, are you good? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, my head's in a bunch of different places. I'm just so ready for Australian Open preview video, GSP style, this Saturday for any of you listeners who Great want shot. to hear our breakdown of the draw. And hopefully we'll be able to do a women's one. I have one scheduled tomorrow as well. Not on video, but a podcast for you listeners before this Australian Open kicks off. And with that in mind, uh, one more event I want to turn to here. The WTA event in Hobart where... Not too complicated this weekend. You look at who we have left in the draw. Heather Watson's going to take on the number three seed, Rybakina. Alina Rybakina, uh, interesting position for her. She's, I believe, the 29th seed at the Australian Open. She is in Barty's section of the draw. So interesting that both of them making deep runs the week before the event, you know, two weeks in a row of deep runs in terms of tennis they'd match up third round will be interesting to see who has more fumes in left in the tank but the really exciting thing for me uh jamie shui zhang who semi-finalist here she's going to take on the number five seed kuder matova she has a really interesting first round matchup she was not able i think she's numbered like 40 mm-hmm. in the rankings right now so unseated at the australian open She's going to take on the number 24 seed, Sloane Stevens, who, as we did mention in our Winners and Losers pod earlier in the week, Jamie, is 0-2 to start her 2020. So just based on this one result alone, you have to imagine Zhang enters with more confidence than Sloane Stevens, whose losing streak has, or just her dry spell, we can say for lack of a better term, has extended into that 2019 year end. Uh, it, both of these players, that that's upset alert, right? That just mm-hmm. screams Sloane Stevens 0-3 to start her year. For sure. And, I mean, it's, yeah, I, I think, look, here's here's really the deal. If you're coming in and you see that you draw a seed, that's the seed you want to draw, right? So, I mean, that's that's really where we are. And so, yeah, tough spot here for Sloane Stevens. Um, but, I mean, yeah, <laughs> 
I would say Sloane Stevens, loser of the draw in this one, because not only is it a tough draw, but look, she's already not in her best form, and so that just sort of you know adds to the adds to the mix. No, for sure. And with that in mind, uh, let's get to our last thing. You talk about winners and losers from the draw as much as I would love to talk about the fact that both Steve Johnson and Marco Skirone, two of the NCAA singles champions of the 2010s, made the semifinals of the Challenger in Australia, as much as I would like to talk about the fact that at the Futures event in Rancho Santa Fe, last week's Ann Arbor Challenger champion Ulysses Blanche somehow unseated this week in the event is in the quarterfinals against Michael Redlicky, Emilio Nava versus Brandon Nakashima, Callan Altamirano, Alex Rissard to UVA, who's a former college national champions in the draw there. I could talk about that for the rest of the time, Jamie, but I know you don't want to do that. Hey, come on. So don't, uh, don't do me like that. So let's do the final thing. Now, listeners want to get in that Australian Open mood. And of course, that is the big story of the day. And that's what we cover here. The storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. So Westoff, give me a winners and losers sound effect. And with that, let's talk a little Australian Open draw. Yeah. Which side do you want to start on, men or women? Ooh, it's tough. So I kind of just made a big list of my winners and losers. Fair enough. Let's go go negative at first. Let's go losers because I think there's one place that I want to start, and it was big news today. Uh, The fact that Alex Dimenauer joins Bianca Andreescu on the list of players forced to withdraw with injury. Dimenauer, uh, an ab injury, I think he doesn't want to overextend, so he's not risking it here for Andreescu. It's the knee that she's playing safe with. She obviously has so much winning to do in her future. Both of them do, so why risk things just for one major uh, but it does suck because Alex Dimenauer, given how good he looked at the end of 2019, at the start of this year, Andrescu's place in you know how she was going to compete in this slam speaks for itself. She won the last Grand Slam we saw in the WTA Tour, but I feel like fans really losing out by missing these two players. Yeah, for sure. Um, especially Dimenauer. I mean, you feel bad because just... I don't know, all the uh, the emotion and passion almost combined those two words there. Um, hey, great shot to me. Uh, but no, I mean, really the passion he brings to the court, especially right now. I mean, you saw in the ATP Cup, um, he's going to have that home court advantage, would have some phenomenal crowd support. I mean, I, could, I can't even imagine how electric those matches would have been because he's got that. He's got the firepower on a hard court too. I mean, it's just too bad we're missing out on that for sure. And um, I don't know if you saw the post, Kyrgios, um, behind Damon Hour feeling sorry for him and saying, hey, man, that, you know, of course this really sucks. Everybody's going to be missing out. And it is unfortunate for sure. Um, too bad. You, you hope that's not a serious thing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this is one where, I don't know, I think if you're talking about Damon Hour long term, you're thinking this is a major he can win someday. Um, and so, yeah, it just hurts to see. It's like, mm, that's one less you're going to get experience to play on. So too bad for sure. But, I mean, at this point, uh... what can you do? Live update, J.J. Wolf, 6-0 first set, loses the next two, 6-5. and five. I know, I just saw that come in. Uh-huh. That hurts. Uh, that's a loss for me, but yeah, all right, I named, I named one other loser. You want to go with one for you? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I don't know who the loser is. We, we already mentioned Sloan. Um, I, I don't know who you want to call the loser here, and, and you know maybe you have a different perspective on it, but another first-round Coco and Venus, just like Wimbledon. Yeah, um, I have that in both the winners and yeah. losers, and I put that and Djokovic Struff in the same category. It's yeah. like things go different for both Venus, Coco, and Jan Lundert Struff, and it's like, okay, any one of you could really make the second week if things just if you're playing your best <sighs> tennis. And yet, you know, for Struff, it's just like, well, 
I play Djokovic. That sucks. Um, and for yeah. Venus Coco, it's the same thing. It's like, again, really? Like, we couldn't have saved this for maybe third round, fourth round action? Right. So it, it's unfortunate. I mean, those to me are slightly different. And by the cause... way, to expect Coco Goff, sorry to cut you off, but just to expect Coco Goff to make the second week is a lot. I mean, she's, what, 16 years old? Let's not get crazy. Uh, but it does suck that these two are facing off first round. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, and I think... It... To some degree, you mentioned the Struf and Djokovic. Sometimes I think that that's sort of the mentality of anybody who draws uh, Nadal or a Djokovic or somebody <laughs> right off the true. bat. It's like, okay, well, here we go. Um, the Coco Venus one just hurts because it's already happened. Um, you know, it, it's a cool sort of narrative, you know, right? You have the old veteran on tour and then you have sort of the new age ushering in. You have all these things and storylines. They already played, they already did this and then it's happening again, right? It's Dimitrov, Vavrinka, but, you know, amped up. So um, it's unfortunate. Yeah, I think it goes into the winner-loser column both because like, hey, at some point it's like, what a great first round match, right? Um, yeah, but if also you're a fan, sucks. you're like, yeah. this rocks. Yeah, but also like sucks that one of them is, um, one of them is going to be out first round, so. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. And on the concept of let's knock those out, just people who the draw went against. Yeah, uh, tell me if you agree or disagree. I think uh, Riley Opelka and Fabio Fognini. Uh, I think both of them are like, are you serious? We have to do this again. Like for Opelka, he's like, could I not have drawn someone? You know, he's like 38 in the world. He's like, could I not have drawn a qualifier? Mm-hmm. Uh, for Fognini, he's like, could I not have drawn a qualifier? Like, are yeah. you serious? I just played Riley. I think. Uh, so I, feel I like think lose Fognini- lose. I think Fonini is the bigger loser out of that one, though, um, just because Opelka's like, hey, you know, if I'm going to draw a seed, that's not the worst one to draw, you know, right? They already had this first-round encounter. What was it, U.S. Open? Not too long ago. So, um, you know, yeah. not terrible. It's like how, it's like how Tiafo kept drawing Isner or, like, a U.S. junior Fritz versus Sock. Mm-hmm. Like, it just kept happening and right. it keeps happening. Um, and, by the way, we'll get to France. Eh, let's just do that now since his name is yeah, Francis Tiafo. <laughs> yeah, Maybe he's definitely the, in there. Eh, and I want to apologize because I named him a loser uh, early in the week, and I watched his match with Mikhail Yimmer. I, that was just a really high level of tennis, particularly through the first two sets. Now, Tiafo was up an early break in the first and really should have won that match in straights. That being said, for Francis Tiafo, who has to defend quarterfinal points, to draw number four seed Daniil Medvedev, like, I, I'm sorry, I'm trying not to swear anymore, but like, if you're Francis Tiafo, like, that blows. Yeah, that does. That sucks. Yeah, you see that come through. You, mm, I don't even know how you react to that, right? <laughs> I mean, you're just like, can I get a break, right? You know, especially that. That's like the worst thing when you're not, of course, you're not feeling your best um, in terms of your tennis. You're trying to get back to that level, trying to get off to a good start with the year. Um, and yeah, that's how it starts. That's that's definitely unfortunate. I don't know how much there is to say aside from that part. No, that's it's just brutal. It's like the same thing for Kiki Mladenovic. It's like mm-hmm. I get Pliskova. Yeah, that's a like, tough are you first kidding round. me? Yeah, yeah, that's brutal. Uh, another one, Maria Sharapova. She draws Donna Vekic, who made the quarterfinals this week. I think she lost to Yastremska. Uh, that's a tough one, the number 19 seed. For Caroline Wozniacki, it's cool that you draw Christian, uh, who's you know a, a really nice player, out a former Stanford All-American, but she's going to then potentially have Diana Yastremska round two, and it's her final major. Like, that's mm-hmm. tough. Um. Let's see. Who else do I have? Mackie McDonald, first match back. Dan Evans. Yeah. Ugh. Someone who's been in really good form. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's a Unseated one. Marin Cilic, which is just a weird thing to say. He has Benoit Pair and then Bautista Goot if he wants to make the fourth round. That's not enviable at all. No. Um, 
you know that yeah that section's interesting though um i mean we won't get too into it but that that sort of leads me did you have anybody other else major in the loser column just kyle edmund okay to play the deuce like that's not great yeah because the only reason i was talking there is because you know chillich ronich are in the same section guys who big names you expect to be um i mean ronich is what the 32 seed i think which is weird to see chillich unseated which is even weirder um but brings me to my point that Sitsipas, good draw. He's a winner out of this, I think, because both of those guys are in his section. Um, and I, I think I think the draw breaks open for Sitsipas pretty yeah. well. The fun thing for me is that there weren't really obvious winners. It's a pretty balanced draw. Now, there are obvious unseated losers uh, just because it's always tough when you're not seated. But for me, only a couple of winners. And Andre Rublev, the 17 seed. Uh, he draws a wild card, Chris O'Connell first round, which should he win this match, two weeks of deep tennis, you get a wild card first round. That's nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the seeds in his section to make the quarterfinal, the 11 seed, David Goffin, the 7 seed, Alex Zverev. It would not shock me. You look at Turnitopias if like 33% of the draws end up having Rublev in the quarterfinal because the the picks there, I mean, he's the guy of those three who comes in with the best form and they're all in that same sort of range of, you know, I'm not in the level of Fed, Djokovic, Nadal right now, but on a given week, I can make a quarterfinal, semifinal, final. Yeah, I mean, I think another guy, at least I'm thinking of, team has a pretty solid draw. Really, the only the, uh, the only thing can mess him up, um, if Kevin Anderson gets back to good form or Fritz is feeling it, um, he could be in some trouble. But before the couple matches before that team um, look to be in pretty good shape there, unless he does a classic nice little team at the beginning of a major thing, which is always unfortunate. <laughs> um I mean, there's a couple other ones. Like you said, fairly balanced. Um, I think Serena looks like she has a pretty solid draw. Depending how Wozniacki does, there's a potential for that round of 16 matchup with Wozniacki in her final match. But as you already mentioned, Wozniacki getting to the round of 16 could be pretty tough given um, sort of the gauntlet she's got in front of her. I'm trying to think of another one I've got in the uh, winner I'll category. Say this, the women's draw is tough. I mean, every section right now, especially, I, I just don't think there's a clear front runner. I think you can na- make a case for, you know, seven women off the top of your head with no preparation research on the scenario that unfolds. Like, if I told you Carolina Pliskova wins uh, this major, would that shock you? No, but is this, isn't this always kind of the, no. the discussion of WTA with... Uh, I don't know. I mean, there are the random years, champions, yes. but no, because like... Think about last year's final. Osaka Kvitova made sense, right, to start the year. That one you could see based on how they both finished 2018. Um, I mean, the era of Serena, obviously. That yeah, one, but that if you go back, Wozniacki, Halep, Australian Open a couple of years ago, that one made sense how they both got there. Um, it Fair just enough. it. So sure, is the WTA sometimes ten players wide? Yes, but it really feels like I could make a case for twenty five without causing you to laugh. With half of them with the last name ending Ova. No. Um, I think another one in my winner category, you, you mentioned it, somebody, of course, you're going to uh, be fond of, Benchich. I think she has. A, I think mm-hmm. she's coming out of a winner. She has a really open draw, I think. Um, the first seed she would run into would be Comptivit. Um, and then, you know, after that, it, it's, I don't know. I think she's looking pretty solid. I think she's, if she's looking at her draw right now, she's got to be pretty happy. Yeah, my last two, another itch for you, Miomir Kasmenovic, unseeded mm. Andreas Seppi, but then his seeds to get to the fourth round would be number 15 seed Stan Wawrinka, who looked good in week one, uh, yeah. number 19 seed John Isner, who looks better this week, 
But those are both winnable matches. Like, if you're Miomir Kasmanovic, yeah. you are the young guy. You make that match physical in both instances. There's a path for him. There's always one, right? Always a funky one. It's Australia. There's a path for him to the fourth round. So I think he was my other winner. And then my last one, uh, I don't know. Before I get my last one, you got it anymore? No, I'm good. Yeah, then my last one, the fans. We oh, are God, literally three. No, we're three days away. I mean, that that's sick. I, the off season we complain about it for all year. It's not long enough. And then we're like, come on, let's get to Australia. And it's finally here. So really excited for that first Grand Slam of the year. And, of course, for you tennis fans out there who need to get ready, we will have all of your preview content available at our website, CrackedRackets.com. Jamie, I know you and I are going to get together Saturday morning, I believe, to do a live video podcast, do our men's breakdown, our in-depth, where we look at each quarter of the draw, four questions per section, plus some ones at the end, like which of the big three seeds least likely to make the semifinals, any of the next-gen guys do we think are going to make the semifinals, things of that nature. Really exciting week ahead, right? Yeah, absolutely. This is we're getting back into the fun zone, right? Uh, we're we're here, like you mentioned, we're back and get to do another major preview pod. That's enough to excite me. Yeah, of course that'll be a great shot podcast as well. And of course, if you've missed any of the action all week long, Challenger Tour, College Tennis, whatever it may be, on our website crackedrackets dot com, you can find all of that content. This podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, the Cracked Interviews Podcast, all available there. And if you are a listener, please we ask if you haven't already, like, rate, subscribe, review, so I can stop asking you to do so. Just leave that five star rating on there. I know how many listens we get. The two things do not match up again. So I'm on to you, listeners who haven't done it and uh don't be surprised if i start calling you out one by one but with that in mind uh the more immediate updates are going to become that much more important because the time difference you don't want to know what is or has hasn't already happened in australia twitter instagram facebook youtube our accounts at cracked rackets you know where to go shout out to our sponsor aerobar which will be powering not only us but i'm sure many of these players in australia as they get through the weather get through the conditions grind through two weeks of everyday podcasts jamie as you mentioned our mini break will be rocking and rolling all throughout the tournament recapping the day's uh biggest events, storylines, results, upsets, all of those things to keep you listeners up to date. Did I miss anything there, Jamie? I feel like I hit everything. I think you hit it all. I was counting along with you. I think we got it. We're good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then with that in mind, the one thing I can't end this podcast without doing a shout out to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, who will continue to have a editing job to do as we had throughout this 2020 season. But with that in mind, For my wonderful co-host, James Foster McDonald, our super producers, Max Ligner and Daniel Westoff, and from our entire teams at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. James, what do we tell the listeners? That's a break. And we will see you all weekend long. Enjoy, everyone. 